All right, so let's start right here. Hello, welcome to Project A+. Uh, we're going to be talking about some uh, films this week. Do you want to introduce what your name is before we talk about the films? Or do you oh, jeez. Have... Hello, welcome to Project A+. My name is Hugh. Your name is Hunter. <laughs> wow. Mr. Perfunctory here. Someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. That someone is you. Uh, we do have to broadcast a correction to something I said on the previous episode. Please, please, go right ahead. So I told this story, and yes, it is in the edit, because I've already started editing that other episode, and I had to keep it. The garbage episode? <laughs> in which uh, I talk about purchasing a one kilo tub of butter, or margarine, and it was just called spread. Like, that was the joke. Was it not? Is it not just called spread? It's called regular spread, so I missed the regular bit. So it's a little uh, bit that's, fancier that's than so just funny. spread, but I actually I actually bought some margarine today, and I ate it with some non bread. So uh, should we get on to talking about the movies? Yeah, or... let's talk about some movies. All right. So we got a very special uh, edition for of the show today, um, due to one of our members not wanting to spend money because he's a cheapskate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we initially were going to talk about First Man. Um, we push that back to next week. Instead, we're just going to talk about uh, our the two Fassbender films we're going to do today and then have an extra special long bonus features. Because we do need to catch up on bonus features because for some reason um, there was an audio problem with the previous episode that meant that we couldn't do it. Uh, anyway, so what are we doing? Some films. Yeah, we're, this is a podcast where we're talking about film, it turns out. Um, so, uh, today we, we are going to watch, or not going to watch, we're going to talk about, uh, two of Fassbender's most acclaimed films, and the two that really sort of solidified his, uh, later style of incorporating some, uh, melodramatic, uh, elements into his detached style, uh, which is, we watched, uh, The Merchant of Four Seasons. And we watched, also watched, uh, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. I'm a man of four seasons. Give me more, more reasons to drink myself to death. I, I'm not, I'm afraid of, but uh, fast but no. <laughs> And I am a film director. <laughs> I'm a, I've been a bad little boy. <laughs> so I think I think this leads perfectly to the descriptions of the two films that you prepared personally in in the voice <laughs> yes. of Fassbender. In this film, I, I try <laughs> to explore the social political undercurrent. It's all the films. Yeah. <laughs> In my inimitable detached time. It would be pretty funny if you did start every single uh, <laughs> one of your um, summaries with that. Well, I will now. I'll just quickly rewrite some of the tenses. And... All right. Well, please, go go right for it. Okay. Inspired by the subversive melodramas of Douglas Sirk. Oh, please don't do this. <laughs> I already want to die. <laughs> The Merchant of Four Seasons, Max. This sounds more like a Scandinavian accent, actually. <laughs> it just sounds like you're having trouble. <laughs> That's how I describe it. All right. 
Alright, I'll start again. <clears throat> Please do. Alright, inspired by the subversive melodramas of Douglas Sirk, The Merchant of Four Seasons marks the beginning... The Merchant of Four Seasons, rather. <laughs> start that again. <clears throat> Take four. <laughs> inspired by subversive melodramas <laughs> of Douglas Sirk. The Merchant of Four Seasons marks the beginning of a new era! In fast vendors, I mean mine. Stylistic <laughs> You're do, you're just doing Doctor Strange love. <laughs> Taking place. Okay, wait, stop, stop. <laughs> just do it again. Mm. <laughs> all right, all right. It's from the top. Inspired. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna hurt your throat. Yeah, and it's gonna hurt my ears when I try and listen to that. <laughs> yeah, to keep all of it. Yeah. Inspired by the subversive melodramas of Douglas Sirk, The Merchant of Four Seasons marks the beginning of a new era in Fassbender's stylistic development. Taking place in the West Germany of the 1950s, the film centres on the life of a fruit merchant who stolidly plies his trade after returning from a stint in the French Foreign Legion. Throughout the film, various pressures conspire to ensure his downfall. A fraught relationship with his mother, an unhappy marriage, class resentments, a thwarted career as a police officer, infidelity, alcoholism, and violent domestic abuse. Will our philandering alcoholic abuser overcome these obstacles and find happiness? Or will he deliberately exacerbate his heart problems in a public suicide attempt? It's one of the two. Which which one is it? You watch the film. Okay, okay. So, um, I think that in Fassbender's sort of uh, scheme, at least in the films we've watched, happiness seems to be something that's not available to people who are alive. No. So, uh, if you suggest that there's uh, potentially an afterlife, not uh, endorsing one particular view or the fact that there even is one, then I would say that <laughs> uh, potentially uh, he is more happy uh, at the end of the film than at any other point. So there you go. Um, also, yes, he does drink himself to death. So Hugh Hamilton, did you think that uh, Fassbender successfully incorporated melodrama into this film. So the incorporation of melodrama here resulted in something that, to me, more had the vibe of like a seventies soap made on the cheap, <laughs> really, than like necessarily capturing Cirque and melodrama of the fifties. Mm. Um, and I, I, I mean that kind of as a compliment. I kind of enjoyed the style. I mean, obviously, you didn't have the same production resources that. No, had. no. I don't think it was necessarily trying to be glamorous in that way. No, it's not trying to be a good direct translation. It's it's more like the specific sort of some of the stylistic elements and uh, having characters who are just you know, uh, D- detached, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah there's the over the top acting. It is kind of yes. like inten- sometimes it feels like it's intentionally bad in places, in fact, and um, heightened emotion. And, and yeah, I enjoyed the style that, that he happened upon one way or another. I agree. I actually found this, a lot of this film very funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I, uh, I felt some of it was funny, though. I don't know. I honestly didn't care for it that much. If I'm being honest, like I like the aesthetic and the style quite a bit, but I never really like cared that much about Hans, except for when he, uh, after he had the heart attack, I thought it was 
<laughs> great. This is a great entry in the uh, uh, my my future book, The Cinema of Cox. Well, as usual, I don't. I, I expect you're not supposed to identify or sympathize with him, right? Yeah, I mean, I I do think there is a degree of like emotional resonance that you're supposed to have for this film. At least the a lot of the literature I read about it suggests that people do have it. You know. Mm. So I think I think it might be. I mean, maybe your reactions are a little bit of like a, uh, maybe a failure on the film's behalf or maybe a failing to connect to it the way that this may be intended or the way that other people have, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, I found it hard to, like, sympathize with him at all, like, once he beats his wife and stuff. So I'm like, well, this guy's, he's a, he's a trash, so. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was, he's pretty despicable. And I think we're supposed to, if not, like, empathize with him, at least, like, um, I feel like by making everyone else around him so despicable, too, he's trying to make him seem not as bad, but he's just so awful. I don't know. Well, I mean, I haven't read much about it in terms of uh, analytical perspective, but in the bits and pieces of things on Wikipedia or whatever the streaming site said, some people have, have, have sort of referred to it as... Um, being the story of this guy who is eventually undone by these forces outside of his control, these societal pressures and whatever. Yeah. But he's such a piece of trash that <laughs> I can't, I wouldn't blame anything else but him, really. Yeah, that's that's I'd say maybe the film is sort of failing for us on that level. Yeah. Or at least he's complicit in his own destruction. Very much so. That's like sort of the typical thing that people say about his, the characters in his films is that oftentimes, you know, he, he has characters that are extremely oppressed, but in general, they don't uh, actively work against their oppression and instead usually exacerbate it to some degree. So the things that I responded to in this film is the, the aforementioned sort of 70s soapy vibe, um, which I enjoyed. And I enjoyed the notes of this film that uh, sort of undercut the melodrama. So there's, there's this moment when uh, after he has abused his wife and then she's left him, and he, w- he wakes up and discovers this. And a scene that's, like, legitimately, like, really horrifying. <laughs> yeah. So he wakes up next day and she's already left uh, with the kid. And, um, you know, he's discovering that and, and realizing it's terrible and he's going to scream out her name. But before he does that, Fassbender just shows him... <laughs> taking a piss. Taking a piss. <laughs> and then he resumes running out of the apartment and screaming his wife's name. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed those sort of touches. The, the, the thing I enjoy... I think from these three films that we've watched so far, and we'll get to the fourth, I enjoy Fassbender, above anything else, I enjoy Fassbender's weirdness and his sense of humour. <laughs> yeah. So I do enjoy the, the comic touches of this film, and especially the ending, which I thought was genuinely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So he's a, he's a fruit merchant. He abuses his wife, has a heart attack as a result of all that. Yeah. You know, as a result of the stress of beating your wife and her leaving. <laughs> and then um, he can't go back to work uh, in the same capacity as a fruit merchant. So they end up employing someone to help them out. Yes. Who's played by the American soldier. Who, wait, okay. This is uh, something I wrote down. This is one of my uh, patented notes. Um, I did not, when we watched the American soldier, I, I, I would not say this is a resemblance that really crept into my mind. But uh, with a mustache, I thought he looked like exactly like if you were like a German version of uh, Bert Reynolds. <laughs> That's like a second rate, a sort of second rate <laughs> German film, like like a porn version of Bert Reynolds. <laughs> uh, that's Carl Scheidt, right? Yeah, so he's one of the employees, and then because of his association, well, no, because um, 
when Hans is at the hospital, Hans's wife, uh, Ermgard, cheats on him with him, and then intentionally gets him fired by a complicated, somewhat complicated scheme. Um, and then he's replaced with a friend of um, the merchant, who I think was in the Foreign Legion with him, right? Yes. I like the way that as the merchant sort of slides into this existential depression and he can't do anything but like stare out the window uh, while the family goes on around him. Um, I like how just like bluntly the guy is taking over the father figure role in the... In the <laughs> yeah, yeah so she's the daughter. That's really yeah. funny. And he's just like sitting at the table like the man of the house and doing yeah. all the family stuff while he's just like <laughs> just camping at the, at the window. window. Um, and then, the, yeah, the last exchange... After he dies, his wife proposes, like, it would be for the best if you, you know, officially took over the role that you've been essentially playing. Is it okay if I start calling you Hans now? And he just deadpanly responds, okay, and that's the end of the film, which I, I genuinely laughed at. The way this film worked for me is like this bizarro, melodramatic, anti-comedy kind of thing. Yeah. More so than anything else, really. That's the enjoyment I got from it. I, I'm kind of, I kind of see where you're coming from. I don't think it's necessarily a masterpiece or an unqualified masterpiece, at least. Mm. It's funny because a lot of people do re- uh, identify this as one of, like, Fassbender's best films. Yeah, yeah. And I know that um, Vim Vendors does, like, the commentary track on it as well. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel about this film was, like, sort of um, satirical approach to, like, German society? I do love the opening scene so much. <laughs> uh, talking about Fassbender's, like, sense of humor. Like the very opening shot where he's like, he's like, "Mother, I'm home from the war," <laughs> and the only thing she could do is ask him about his his friend who died. And she's just like, "Well, only the good ones. None of the good ones come home." <laughs> um, but did you did you find it to be particularly cutting in its depiction of like um, German bourgeois society? No, I don't think. I, I think I need greater context to unpack. Yeah. Some of that that side of the film, I can kind of see what it's what it's going for to an extent, but I, I think I lack the context to make much of it. I mean, there's there's the class stuff about um, his mother resenting the fact that he's got this like low career as a fruit merchant. Well, his mother and sort of his wife as well. Yeah, and uh, the family dynamic was was really weird. Yeah. So. Um, uh, sorry, what's her name? Hannah Shigula, who was in the first film as well, right? Yeah. And is in a large number of Fassbender films. Yeah. So she plays uh, his sister. Yeah. And a lot of people read that character as a sort of uh, director insert character. That's why That's why I would suggest that you're supposed to meant to empathize with Hans to a degree as well. Well, yeah, she's probably the most empathetic character towards him. Yeah. And I think that he is like the character that's supposed to be just the most sympathetic in general, I guess. Mm. Um, also, uh, I, it's, it's, it's two movies in a row that are really fucked up family dynamics. I guess all, I guess three of them do. <laughs> he did have a weird upbringing, so. Yeah, apparently. Okay. So, um, Merchant of Forces and Sons. Yeah. Uh, anything else? <laughs> this, this, I feel like this is a bad discussion. I do, I do agree. <laughs> that was a terrible discussion. 
So I'll just pad it out by including all the attempts at uh, synopsizing the film in various accents. <laughs> well, what I, I'm sure there is something else we can talk about uh, in this film. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Let me, let me look at my notebook that I wrote some notes on see if I have anything that's worth mentioning. Well, you could just uh, say something about whatever. Let's see. Did you like that Fassbender uh, cast himself as a character named Zucker? <laughs> Which, of course, in German means sugar. I didn't know it meant sugar. Yeah. Um, so I think that's uh, pretty ironic. Considering he's nothing but sweet. Yeah, he's very sweet. Yeah, he's a, he's a, good, he's a good sweet guy. <laughs> it's a sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, he's a sweetie pie. He's a beauty pie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, we are terrible, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we end our discussion of Fassbender film with a PewDiePie joke. <laughs> That'd be more relevant than that. <laughs> um, anyway, let's move on to the next one. You can interrupt if you want and correct me. Adapting? Nope, nope. Okay, alright. Adapting his own play, The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant continues Fassbender's fascination with melodrama in a savage, funny, and at times emotional depiction of an aging fashion designer played by Margit Carstensen. Yeah, that was beautiful. Taking place entirely in von Kant's luxurious apartment with an all female cast. The film follows von Kant's obsession with a young woman, Karen, who has returned to Germany um, after experiencing difficulties in her marriage. From Australia, in fact. Mm-hmm. Mm. Were you happy to hear your um, home country get shout-outs? In this yeah, moment? it was great. Von Kant employs Karen as a model and arranges her to move into her apartment. However, von Kant's affection is not reciprocated in... I can't believe I wrote this sentence, but I'm going to read it exactly as I read it. However, Von Kant's affection is not reciprocated in kind, and Karen ultimately returns to her husband, leaving Von Kant destroyed and... (laughs) Sorry, leaving Von Kant distraught and primed to cry them bitter (laughs) tears. Jesus Christ, what is wrong with you? (laughs) She cries them bitter tears. Also, she has a weird relationship with her assistant who never speaks. The end. (laughs) That was... That was brilliant. Is there anything else left to say about the film after that? After that? No, I think you like covered it. I think we should destroy every other thing that's been written about it, to be honest. Uh, so what did you think? Uh, I, I like this quite a bit. I do too. I think it's the best film I've seen of his so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, not the best one that I've seen of his, but the best one of his I've seen of his in this rewatching or watching we've done. So to give this film a bit more context, uh, even though, I, I mean... Do we need more context than what I supply? Or, wait, wait, wait. A big bit more context. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You're welcome. Us be bad to be involved. That's a trick of every visit, though. So, I did read that it was something of a self-portrait in that um, Fassbender himself developed an infatuation with a young actor. Yeah. And sort of wrote this play around that. Um, but c- can you flesh that out any, any further than that? Nope. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I think it might have been his lover who he was with for like three years before he killed himself or something like that. 
I do like how unflattering if this if we can read this is a self portrait. How incredibly unflattering it is. Mm. So it's it's obviously because of its uh, roots in theatre. It feels very theatrical. So it takes place all in the one location. It has a limited cast and it unfolds over these extended sort of dialogue-based set pieces. Yes. Um, and very performance-dependent, but not uncinematic. No, it's not. It, the cameras are just like placed to watch the, you know, the pseudo stage. It's definitely a dynamic, quite a dynamic camera movement. If, yeah, it feels like it justifies itself as cinema, even while it very much recalls a, a theatrical piece. Um, but I felt it, I found it really compelling and enjoyable. Yeah, and so did I. I, I particularly found um, Kastensen is amazing in it. Yeah, she is uh, incredible. I mean, all, all three of like the weed, weed women are very good. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely definitely more emotionally affecting than either uh, any of the films we've watched so far. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed the how effective um, Herman manages to be without a single line of dialogue, especially that end sequence. The set design in this film is really incredible too. The what? The set design. Yeah, and the cinematography is really good. Yeah. <laughs> this this achieves more of that standard melodramatic look that uh, obviously the Merchant of Venice. Imagine of four seasons, um, <laughs> perhaps for budgetary reasons, doesn't have. And maybe maybe they had about the same budget, but the, obviously I feel like this film cost less to produce. The costume design also great. Uh, I, I I actually got a. Uh, I was reminded of Phantom Thread when I was watching this movie. I was too, actually. Yeah, I was. I was. I forgot to write that down. I, I had the like same there's a specific. There's a specific thought. sequence where um, Petra is describing her relationship with. Her ex-husband, where she's like, uh, and every every uh, <laughs> uh, time he, he ate, it, it was like uh, a cacophony or whatever. Right? I don't remember the exact line. I was like, oh, that's kind of my favorite thread. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, but the the relationship is somewhat similar as well. We're just the specifically the examination of like um, uh, artist assistants. It's both. It, it's kind of. The relationship is kind of splintered into two. Like it's the his relationship with her relationship with Karen and her relationship with uh, Moline as well. Yeah. What did you think of old Petra? I just thought she was an interesting, complex character. I mean, all I guess not less so Marlena, who is not, who's like more defined through her like absence than mm. as like a person, but. Both, um, I thought both her, both Petra and Karen were very well drawn. And they, they both sort of emerge from types, I'd say. Well, well Ka- yeah, Karen's initially like the ingenue sort of character, but then reveals to be more complex than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the interesting sort of cyclical nature of, like, Petra as, t- is to Karen as Marlena is to Petra. Mm. It's also interesting. And her sort of like um, the big play, let's say. <laughs> it's also interesting. So um, now he can put Fassbender back into his coffin. <laughs> <laughs> now he can finally transition to the afterlife because finally someone has understood his films. <laughs> it is like it is slightly concerning uh, that Fassbender would make 
uh, this movie, I think. <laughs> Especially if he means it to be like a sort of portrait of himself. Some people have accused Fassbender of being misogynistic. Do you find that to be the case in this in this film? In, in terms of misogyny, I didn't get that from this film. Obviously, I got it from the previous three. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this film seemed like a, a course correction to that. Uh, is that it? Yeah. That was fucking perfect. Bonus features, bonus... Do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first? <clears throat> um, let's see. So I have four films to talk about. How many do you have? Um, more than four. <laughs> so maybe I should go first. And yeah, then... let's get you out of the way, and then we'll get to the good stuff. Uh, I watched Days of Heaven, which is uh, brilliant. You know, I really love Terrence Malick. He's one of my favorite directors. Uh, but it's just a very elusive and mysterious and just gorgeous film um every shot in it is just feels so uh just garbage amazing to look at um and it's just a brilliant film perfect uh what did you do you have you seen days of heaven i have i like it a lot from what i remember of it do you like malik in general you've asked me this like 20 times (laughs) Yeah, I just can't remember. I can't remember my answer. Yeah, I quite like him. I quite like him. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's a good director. But I've only seen I've seen Badlands. I've seen Days of Heaven, and I've seen The Tree of Life. And I think yeah, I've seen The Third Red Wine. No, I've not. I want. Oh, that's like his. Ma- that's his masterpiece. But I haven't seen it. You think that's his top? I. It's definitely my favorite of the films he's made. Interesting. But for me, like, um, if I'm like ranking a director, I I kind of want to mix. Uh, maybe like in terms of like achievement and how I feel about a film, like mix that together, right? Mm. And so I'd maybe rank the Tree of Life ahead of it slightly, just because um, what he's doing there is so it's just so bold and and you know, like I don't know, just unprecedented, right? It's unprecedented, except for Mira. <laughs> you mean? Yeah, uh, Mira's garbage. So there's there's no dinosaurs in it what am i supposed to be attached to that's true that's true uh i really i did not care for beer that much <laughs> because you'd seen it before it's just that you saw him the wrong way around what do you mean you'd be like oh this is just tree of life i've already seen that so you didn't invest whereas if you saw no i think i just saw it when i was I, I was really tired and i didn't enjoy it for that reason uh so i watched it follows <laughs> Have you seen that? Have... That showed up. It showed up on one of my streaming services. I haven't seen it, but I, I, I don't know if I will. But should I? It's pretty enjoyable. It's got a very um, sort of dreamy and it's a pretty freaky film to watch, I think, at first. But it, until you like sort of discover its central like trick and then it's not quite as like right, right. viscerally frightening, but um, it has some really good scares, I think. Um, and it, it has some, it's, it's the metaphor at the heart of it is very open-ended, which is interesting to a degree. So if I had a choice between watching that and more episodes of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, what, what should I do? <laughs> uh, I haven't watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, so I guess it follows. 
that you should watch it follows. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd do that because I was like, my, my brain lit up and I was like, yeah, come on. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> uh, I watched Dead Horizons or Le Horizon which is uh, Jacques Demy's first student film. And it very much feels like a student film um, with only sort of uh, pricklings of the brilliance that was to follow. Uh, but it is, as I said on the recording that we lost, it is kind of touching to see that someone is like um, genius as Jacques Demy can make something that's sort of like, you know, amateurish and student filmish as this. Does that give you hope that I'll be a great director for my student? Uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> Is is definitely better than any of your films. Excuse me, I think I think history will be the judge of that. History says it's not disaster. Uh, your friend history. Yeah. Um, well, sorry to disappoint. Um, it's a very sort of like simple film, but it has a very. There's like one sequence that's really interestingly edited. Um, Are you talking about my film? No. <laughs> yes, yeah, secrets they go into the sea. That was that was just great. It was great. It was like a star is born. One shot, one shot. Right? No editing tricks. That actually went into the sea. <laughs> anyway, so uh, after that, I watched Brazil, uh, which is perfect. It's a great, great film about Brazil, the country. Mm. Uh, I watched, I rewatched the movie, my favorite movie of all time, uh, Venom, with Tom Hardy. Uh, no, with your I, brother. Yeah, with my brother, which I enjoyed more. I'd say the second time than watching it the first time. <laughs> Because um, the audience is a little more receptive. Um, and I think there are some sequences that, that are really funny and great. Um, but it is sort of dwarfed by just some like boring superhero stuff. Um, but I, I'd say worth a watch. Uh, definitely one of the weirder, weirder uh, superhero films of the last million years. Um, and it is propelled by a Tom Hardy performance, which I think is like legitimately great. <laughs> Or at least it's it legitimately like really watchable and entertaining. Hmm. Um, I guess it's a dual performance because he also plays Venom. What about uh, Riz Ahmed? Uh, he, oh, he's great. Um, and then there's a great uh, Eminem song that ends the film about Venom. That was written for the film. Yes. Uh, so, you know, every movie that Eminem is in or features one of his songs is great, so... As Tree continues with this one. Like, just for instance, like, the movie Funny People. I would say this is about as good as Funny People. <laughs> did you ever see 8 Mile? No, I never did. I have seen that. What do you think? Uh, it wasn't that good. <laughs> what? Voss? I mean, he actually um, wasn't... From memory, he wasn't that bad in it, actually. But, uh... Voss? Um, okay. Uh, then I watched the movie Mandy, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good. It's a little too, like, um, you know, a ready-made cult object. Yeah, too self-conscious about its... Uh... Yeah, like Grindhouse sort of aesthetic for me to be like, yeah, um, but it's pretty enjoyable. There's some great violence in it. <laughs> I know your favorite thing. Um, Nicolas Cage is very Nicolas Cagey, and the film allows him to really be himself, uh, I'd say. Wait, he can't be being himself if he's also being cagey. No, he's being John Nukovic. Ah. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. 
Um, I mean, there's some parts that are all. There's one sequence that I think is really amazing. Um, but, yeah, so it's a little too, like, just, you know, cult fetish object stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's actually the reason I've been listening to some King, King Crimson recently. Really? Yeah. <laughs> is it featured in the film? One song of theirs is. 20th Century Schizoid Man or whatever? No. Oh. A song called Starless. Mm. Um, it's a good song. Uh, I watched Le Sabotier du Val de Loire, uh, which is another short film by Jacques Demi about a um, a cobbler in a small French town, uh, which is a really interesting film in its composition because it essentially contains no, like, dialogue at all. It's all, like, the story of the film is completely uh, relayed in voiceover narration. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's sort of strange... In retrospect, when you're watching it, it's like, oh yeah, I guess this is the life of this guy. But then uh, you you start to wonder, like, how much of this is like, you know, like footage or footage that was taken at behest of Demi, and how much of it is like actual, like, you know, cinema verite or like just, you know, life being recorded, right? Mm. Um, and it's it's pretty interesting. It's good stuff. Definitely better than Lit Horizon Mo. Uh, and it's fun watching a guy cobble. I'd say. <laughs> It's about as good as The Cobbler. Mm. That movie about the baked dish of the same name. Yeah. Um, I watched Suspiria. The, not the new one. which I, I also watched that, but I'll get to that later. Um, the old Suspiria. Um, which I found out that my Blu-ray edition of has a, a video piece by your old professor. By your old professor? Your old professor. Oh, really? Yeah. The one who wrote that book about Suspiria. Alexandra Helen Nicholas. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, not go. watched it, though. But Suspiria's a good time. Tudor, not Professor. Yeah, sorry. Um, it's it's just a very off-culture and strange and extremely experimental horror film that's just, just great. It's got some really great use of color. It's just a... It's just a good time at the movies if you don't mind watching a couple hearts get stabbed, you know? Sounds good. Uh, yeah. I watched Love is Colder Than Death. Oh, yeah. Which which is a film by... Vena Verna Fassbinder. Can you synopsize it as if you were Fassbinder himself? <laughs> so, it is about a man named Franz... Yeah, first explain how you've come back from the dead to do this. <laughs> I was resurrected by the occult magic of the my Mitchell... My film, The American Soldier, a uh, surplus of 40 times. <laughs> I have come to synopsize my films, at which point I will be expelled back to the underworld. <laughs> Love is colder than death. Is is about a gangster named Franz, who I play, uh, by the way. You have you have seen this film, no? I have. Did you seek my performance first? Good. It was very good. <laughs> my, my, thank you. Thank you. I, I think that your performance in your <laughs> short film, that was the making of your other short film, was very good as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's good, as good as me, though. 
Um, but pretty it's close. about you're saying pretty close, like on par. <laughs> I would say uh, it is if uh, all a film is a uh, giant uh, baseball stadium, uh, you would be in the rafters, and I would be uh, on the mound. But that if means that we're in the same sense. ballpark, so I'm happy with that. Yes, um, but it follows me. It's like the I... best ballpark too. Like there's a lot of other shitty ballparks. We're in the good ballpark. Yes. Yes. Continue. <laughs> I uh, am being recruited by the syndicate and I don't want to join. So I refuse to join them. And then my friend Bruno uh, is a traitor. And that's the film. Okay, cool. I'm okay. going to use that audio instead of our actual <laughs> analysis of it. <laughs> and now back to the underworld for me. Goodbye. Good Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> and he's gone. Wow. What did I miss? Oh, you'll, you'll never believe it. Sorry, <laughs> what was it? I was in the bathroom. You, what did you, I you miss? You not believe it. No, it's well, not. You, you, you got to tell me. There's no way you'd believe it. So I don't want you to think I'm like a liar. And I'm well, just, you can just stories. tell me. I'll, I'll believe you. You'll, you'll think I'm crazy. I, I just, can't, hey, I just, just can't risk that. Hey, okay, just pretend that... Um, I won't judge you. I mean, obviously I'll judge you in reality, but just pretend that I won't and then say it as if you're talking to somebody who wouldn't judge you for saying My imaginative powers are not up to that task, so... Wow, really? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'll just have to be disappointed for the rest of my life and just never do this podcast ever again. <laughs> well, at least finish your, your bonus features section and then we'll call it a day. Um, I watched The American's Order. Oh. Hang on, wait. I, I, hear, I hear the sound of the underworld opening up. <laughs> Uh, I don't hear that sound. Uh, I watched uh, The World of Apu, which is the third film of the Apu trilogy. Did you skip the second one? Or <laughs> I, not it? by choice. Oh, really? Was it for uh, a <laughs> Yeah, it's for a class. Um, I should watch the second one and go back and watch it. But the third one's good, as you might expect, given the quality of the first one. So, uh, then I watched the new version of Suspiria, or Nisperia, as they've been calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, uh, pretty good. It's very odd, and, uh, a little dull at parts. Very pretentious, which is something that I appreciated. Um, also silly, and there's also some great, like, phantasmagorical horror stuff. Uh, it's just a really good mixture of those three things, I think. And it, I feel like, more than the majority of films I've seen, it is a film that really nails... Um, I mean, like, non-German films, really nails the feeling of being, like, being in Berlin is like, which is just, mm. it's gray and moody all the time, for the most part. Um, and, okay, so then I watched uh, The Time of the Eighth, which is a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie, uh, which is sort of a... <laughs> what? Do hmm? <laughs> you not like Mystery Science Theater 2000? No. I mean, I can't really judge them fairly, but I've never been... Um, you haven't watched it, have you? Like what I al- always thought is like I'm I'm so witty and hilarious when I'm talking about Babylon with my friends. So why would I need to have these surrogate friends? Well, I do now. <laughs> when I was in high school, I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you do now. So maybe you really like it now. Yeah, maybe I like it now. Maybe I feel a void in my life. Um, but it, it is just like it's a. But little... I, I would insist on adding my own jokes. In between their jokes. What were they even saying? Fuck. God. Is there enough room between their jokes or do I have to pause the DVD, say my line, and then... The DVD? Yeah, I would say there are. 
I would say there are. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the way you can do it is like uh, take like a photo of yourself, like in the black, and then re-edit the mm-hmm. film, add your silhouette to it, and then just have your wides recorded. Not re-edit the film, but just stick my silhouette on my TV. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's like I've always, when I was younger, my one of my friends and I were like really into the idea of taking a porn film and then dubbing it and then re-uploading it to like a innocuous porn website. Hmm. Uh, but we never did, obviously. I mean, I guess not obviously, but we never did it. Um, what was I even saying? I asked my films I've been watching. Did I even talk about... Okay, The Time of the Apes is a, uh, it's an adaptation of Planet of the Apes, but uh, with children, I guess? I don't know. It's like it is a re-edited uh, TV show that uh, some lunatic was like, I'm going to take this and make it into a, a movie. America and it's really funny to hear like um they'd be like Charlotte <laughs> uh the W's obviously terrible um and yeah it's it's boring enough to make you fall asleep so cool, cool. <laughs> it accomplished its goal um and then I watched two films that I was expecting to like both of them more than I did oh, so two sort of, sort of disappointments I'll start with Are the you okay to talk about them no. Or is it still raw? Nope. So um, go ahead. You can go now. All right. Cool. No, I'm just kidding. I watched the Sergei Eisenstein film Strike, um, which has some very... As I was like, yeah, okay, I'm ready for some Wait, you know, Soviet I, propaganda. I think I hear Eisenstein in the background describing the plot. Nope. Uh, oh, it was just the background it, noise. The, the plot of the film is not especially like complex. It's about It's a based strike. on a real strike, right? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it's not like, it's not like, um, specified in the film at all. Like, it doesn't feel especially like, uh, uh, selected from a real event. It just seems like sort of a generic strike. Um, I would say, uh, there is something that I found like both really stimulated about some of the montages, like obviously stuff, but, um, I just found it to be a little like boring at times, to be honest. <laughs> Because it just felt a little long and, like, I don't know, like, eventually, like, this sort of propagandistic, like, tendencies just sort of, like, you know, you just stop <laughs> engaging with it at a point. Because you're like, okay, whatever I was supposed to be feeling is not something that is, like, really accessible to me mm. as a viewer long after the society that it, this is intended to, like, energize has collapsed, right? <laughs> but the capitalists are so, like... Uh, just you know, black and white, like just mustache twirling, you know, evil guys. It's like whereas okay. the rest of the film is in Technicolor. Shut up. Um, versus like the the class consciousness of something like it made me appreciate. Actually, I think the uh, class consciousness of like Fassbender more. I think because <laughs> at least there you're given room to like um make your own connections as to like the specifics of. The society that's being portrayed, right? Have you seen Potemkin? Mm, I've seen parts of it. It was uh, actually a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be from its reputation. Um, but yeah, I found that I found that quite interesting, and I really recommend his uh, Ivan the Terrible films. Yeah, for good stuff. So you shut up, shut the fuck up now, and let me finish. All right, man. <laughs> um, but I, I must admit. 
I, I, I do, I do take a certain pleasure at how, uh, <laughs> how willing I just had is to like kill children in his films. And outside of his films as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like one of the habits that they had to suppress. I mean, that's the real reason he got expelled from the Soviet Union, if I understand right. But <laughs> I think it's even more explicit than it is in Poked Up Kid because there's, <laughs> there's this, the, the police eventually break up the strike and kill everyone, right? The band or? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> cool. And uh, so Sting is mounted on a horse, right? <laughs> and he grabs a child, like a baby, okay? Yeah. And it's like dangling it over the edge of like this apartment complex. Okay, like it's like connected with like balconies. It was a strange structure, right? Mm. Um, but he's on like the top level. He's like maybe four stories up. Okay, and this is just documentary footage. Just yeah, 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 yeah. So he's dangling this baby over the edge of this balcony, and then he just drops it. <laughs> and so you see him drop it, and you see a shot of it fly through the air. Okay. And the part that I was expecting was you actually see it hit the ground. <laughs> and I was just like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, I Wait, feel it like was Jesus like Christ. Bunch... Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> he, he was, well, I mean, it's not great because he was resurrected and then they killed him. Let's <laughs> um, just say Jesus Christ was the baby thrower. But the funny thing is they they, they would have been behind, like, killing the image of Christ. So yeah. It kind of, yeah. kind of works. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like his film maybe would have been a little stronger if he had, like, it just seems so, like, unrealistic. It almost seems like a parody of propaganda films at the end. Because <laughs> it's like, of course, like, the people who are breaking up strikes are, like, literally throwing babies out of, like, windows. Like, that's just stupid. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was a little, uh, juvenile, <laughs> if I can... Use that sort of ironically. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this expert analysis of Eisenstein's formative first film in the context of the Soviet Union. A little juvenile. <laughs> it is. It's just. It's just like a little like, like it, it doesn't really portray the relations of power as they are. It's just sort of like a oh the capitalists are bad, you know. They are pretty bad though. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I would never deny that. I would never deny that. But. Uh, <laughs> If you, it, 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 there's no like illustration of why people would find capitalism compelling. You're not really making a good case for it. Besides, it just being like ah, it's flatly evil, which it is. But you know, I don't know. Leave him alone, man. He's. he's <laughs> I'm saying that if you're trying to unbrainwash people who have been brainwashed by capitalism, right? The way to do it is not being just like, ah, your way of life is completely evil and terrible, and it's because you throw babies out of windows. Well, you know? that's, I mean, the aim wasn't necessarily to no, brainwash people. I agree. People. It was just I to agree. say, like, this is why we're better than, the, this is why our society is better than these baby throwers. But it's not It's not really much of a, it's not really much of a moral stand to be like, ah, yes, we're better than that society because we don't throw babies out of, off of balconies. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, the majority of societies pass that little metric, so... Maybe that's the smart way of doing it, because if you if you actually look in detail about the differences between the two societies and the levels of concepts and stuff, it's a bit more difficult to sort out. But if you just, like, well, one of them throws babies out and one of them doesn't, come on. Do we need to say anything else? I mean, if you're someone like me, right? 
for someone like me who's like, oh, that doesn't seem realistic, then probably. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and then the other film I watched was Saturday Night Fever, which uh, I I thought I was going to enjoy it more than I did. I will admit. Uh, and I think all the dancing sequences are great. Um, but everything else is kind of like whatever. <laughs> uh, and the gender politics, the gender politics are like abhorrently noxious. Cool. Yeah. And uh, the music's obviously good though. And then I watched a little film called The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. What, what would it be like if uh, Fassbender could converse with himself? No, uh, I think it goes a little something like this. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> Who is at my door? My door, me, meaning I am the famous film director or film director in Veda Vada Fassbinder. Allow me to open my door. Creak. What? It is an identical clone of myself. Uh, hello, other fastbinder. How are you doing today? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> uh, that is good to hear. Okay, goodbye. goodbye. Well, that was terrible. Um, <laughs> bonus features that we can stop recording. I, I lost my enthusiasm by the time my line came up, so... You're just like, man, this is this is so good. There's no way I could ever top that. Yeah. The joke was the premise. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> But and, what's the improv thing? Yes and. Yes and? Yes and? And I am here to <laughs> Yeah und <laughs> Alright. Please continue. Is it my turn? Yes, I am finished. Can I go to the toilet? No. Yes, you can go to the toilet. Oh, thank God. I'm going to do a steaming monster. Uh, So I watched some films since the last time we talked about watching (laughs) films. (laughs) Boy. One of those films was Shirkers, uh, which was recently... Uh which was recently released here on Netflix. So it's a documentary uh, by Sandy Tan about a film that uh, she made when she was a young student with her friends uh, in Singapore under the mentorship of one of her teachers who was an American expat, apparently. And so she was with her friends. They were sort of part of the alternative underground uh, Singaporean scene and it was like an underground weird film that she had written and that the this American teacher had decided to direct. And they ended up making the whole film. And uh, then they left the film in charge. They, they left the film canisters with uh, this American teacher. And um, he said he would edit it and or they start the editing process or whatever. Um, he never did that. Um, and then... They were out of contact and he went back to America and took the canisters of film with him. So it was this long journey by Sandy Tan to recover the film, which she eventually did after the teacher died. Anyway, so it's a quite an interesting story and that's what, what drew me to watch it in the first place. 
I wouldn't say it's a great documentary. It, it's like, it feels like it maybe only had an hour of content and it doesn't really sustain a full film. Yeah, that's and a doesn't, shame. doesn't quite go as, as far as you'd like it to into this really weird story or it doesn't quite resolve in a satisfactory way. And I don't just mean the actual events of the story. It just doesn't, it doesn't quite come off in the end, I would say. But I think if any part of that premise is appealing to you, it's worth watching. Yeah, I'll probably watch it if you pay me $100. Okay. I watched uh, a film I've been meaning to watch for a long time but never have, which is Can Four guess? Lions. Can I guess? Four Lions. It's the can film Four Lions. This? Yes, you can guess. <laughs> is it Polly Shore's Biodome? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that actually as a kid, there was like a buzz among my friends about seeing that film? Really? Yeah. Somehow I missed out. Somehow I missed out on seeing it. It might have just been on video or something. I'm not sure. But like, I remember like missing out on this event at someone's house where they watched Biodome and raved about it. That's such a shame. I watched Four Lions and it's uh, it's pretty good. I enjoyed it. Um, I also watched The Wayward Cloud, which is a 2005 Taiwanese film by Simon Lang. Um, which uses some characters that uses some characters from his previous film. Uh, I don't think I've seen one of his films before, so this is kind of a strange introduction to his. I've time. only seen uh, Rebels of a Neon God. Yeah, I haven't seen that. And I, I, I want to see Lamore or whatever it's called. It's yeah, the French title. Um, so this is, uh, I guess, characteristic of him: very minimal dialogue. Mm-hmm. And this sort of weird premise in which there's a water shortage and there's all this talk about drinking watermelon juice instead of water as a bit to save water. Oh, is it the weird movie about like the sickness or is that a different one? No, there's no sickness particularly. Yeah. But there's just a lot of weird scenes of people eating watermelon and the famous shot on the, that they use on the poster is a woman with her legs spread with a, a watermelon where her genitals are. Um, so The Wayward Cloud is uh, a very strange film about this these two characters who develop a relationship, and yeah, it's worth a watch. I, I don't think it's necessarily, from what I understand, it, his best film, but it's an interesting one. Uh, all right, so, and last night at the cinema, I saw A Brighter Summer Day, which is the uh, Edward Yang film from uh, 1991. The, the funny thing about it is that the title derives from, like, a lyric in uh, Elvis Presley's song. Yeah. Are You Lonesome Tonight? Which is sort of part of the plot is them deciphering lyrics from these old rock and roll records so the, this kid can sing them phonetically at this rock show. Um, but it's funny that that, like, the English title is this sort of poetic title and the actual uh, Taiwanese title is Youngster Homicide Incident at Gouling Street. Which That's is funny. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of based on a real story that Edward Yang uh, remembers from his youth when he was a schoolboy, mm-hmm. in which a 13 or 14 year old kid uh, stabbed his girlfriend to death. So this sort of takes that as, uh, as the starting point and builds around that to look at the broader Taiwanese society of the time. Set in the, uh, mostly, most of it's set about the turn of the decade, so about 1960. How long is it? It is 237 minutes. Yeah, so that's why you liked it. So it's four hours long. A lot of it is just about the sort of ingredients that contribute to 
this violence, not just mm-hmm. the violence of the act itself that it's based on, but there's like a, an amazing sequence of like these two rival gangs um, attacking one another. And I just really like the um, way that he shoots that and the confronting way that the violence is portrayed in this film as endemic of this, this kind of society of the time and, and the uh, stuff around that. But yeah, have you a, seen uh, Yee Yee? I have seen Yee Yee. It's one of my favorite films. Um, mm, I have not I, seen Yee Yee. I think I still, I'm going to see it again because they're showing, um, as part of this Edward Yang series, they're showing it again. Um, so I'll be able to give a better idea of whether I think it's a better film. But uh, I, from my memory of Yee Yee, I prefer Yee Yee to A Bright wow. Sunny Day. So fucking fancy. What I will say is, um, it felt like it doesn't quite sustain its momentum over the, its entire running time. The sort of first portion of the film that leads up to this sort of confrontation between these youth gangs is so effective that it's kind of hard for the film to then recover that momentum. So even the actual um, incident that the film is based on, which gives the uh, literal title in Taiwanese, in Mandarin, I should say, is somewhat muted in comparison to the earlier scenes in the film, but it's still a really amazing film. I'll have to watch it. I just pooped my face. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Do, do you think? Do you think it will make the episode better if I compensate for the like threadbare analysis with extra poop sounds? Yeah, I'm hitting the stop button.